So even when you're in a design role where you might perceive it to be an order-taking type of role, you still have the capacity as a human being, really, and as a professional to think more broadly. So even while you're coming up with point solutions, be thinking about how do we transition just from user interface to user experience? Welcome to UXpeditious, a show that brings you quick, insightful interviews with design, product, and UX leaders. In each interview, we dive into how UX research impacts user insights, shaping the design and business strategy of some of our favorite tech tools and products. I'm Alfonso Dilanues, Chief Visionary Officer and co-founder of UserZoom. And I'm Dana Bishop, VP of Strategic Research Partners at UserZoom. And we are your hosts. On today's episode, we're talking with Jonathan Alloy. He's Vice President for Customer Experience and Innovation Consulting at Publicis Sapient. He has a long career working with several global companies in a number of leadership positions. Jonathan will share five specific ways how leadership can scale UX across large and established companies. Thank you, Jonathan, for making the time to talk to us and to be our guest why don't we start by introducing yourself? Thank you so much, Alfonso and Dana, for having me on the show. I'm delighted to be here. My name is Jonathan Alloy. I'm based out of New York City, and I'm the Vice President for Customer Experience and Innovation Consulting at Publicis Sapien. All right, cool. Um, we're talking something that is super interesting to me. It's, it's been a debate for many years, and I'm very interested to get your thoughts the concepts of customer experience and user experience and how they've evolved over the years and where are they today and where are things going. So why don't you take it off and start talking about how you see those two concepts uh, today and, and, and where, where things are going. The biggest thing we're seeing, I think, in a post-pandemic world is the great intersect between online and offline. The synergy that is happening in the digital space as we increasingly live our lives in an interconnected community in ways that we didn't necessarily do before the pandemic or maybe not to the same degree. Things like hybrid work, things like showrooming, things like getting all of our goods delivered to the home, whether that's an apartment, a condo, a suburban tract house, whatever the case may be. And at the same time, we're seeing the use of adaptive technologies increasingly apply to connect you to the information you need when you want it, when you need it, without having to necessarily go through a human intermediary. So it goes beyond self-service to the ability to have neural networks, artificial intelligence, machine learning, whatever you want to call it, be deployed on our behalf. I would agree with that. Uh, the way I look at the relationship between CX and UX, typically, if you look at from a design and, and research perspective, UX is predominantly in the pre-live stages and CX is kind of post-live stages to summarize and to generalize here, right? I know we can get a lot more technical, but you mentioned the pandemic and going digital. With digital, chances are we have, you know, probably 25 apps right here that need to be updated, uh, you know, on average. And that means that those UXers and the CXers 
they need to work together, right? It's no longer the the same barrier or the same distance that they used to be because it's constantly evolving. I kind of feel like that's something that's changing the way we interact with customers or users, the way we go about product development and research and all that stuff, right? Well, that's absolutely true. If you think about the user personas and the user journeys and the heuristics that we use to do design, it's reasonable to say that User experience is something we think about at the front end as we're building, and then the customer experience is what happens once they receive it. And in a digital realm, the two are not separate, they're life cycle. You could also make the case that they never were that split, because if we think about sustainability, design for recycling, design for manufacturing, design for service, and there are certain industries where that comes more into play than in other places, but the debates going on right now about right of repair for electronic devices, for example. That ties back to what you might consider the front end as much as the back end. And certainly the fact that we have a life cycle where there isn't a clear end of life for an app, let's say. The device, the phone, in your example, might have an end of life where you lease the phone or you rent the phone for two years and then you get an automatic upgrade to the next phone, but all of your data ports over. So what truly is the end of life in that case? And what happens when apps go to the great app store in the sky to the great beyond? Yeah, that's an interesting challenge uh, to think about that impulse in the moment and also 10, 20 years out in the future and how you service all of those things. Let's use cars as an example. So you would buy a car and you would have the car. And now with over-the-air software updates for cars and the move to heavily screen-dependent interfaces rather than tactile buttons, leave aside the usability just for a second because that's a whole different conversation about usability. But what it enables is microtransactions in the car. You can buy upgrades to your car in the car. What are the implications of that? There are car manufacturers that are testing out subscription services for different aspects, not just of infotainment in the car, but actual car functions. And this is meeting with different levels of customer acceptance or rejection. But that dynamic, that interplay between financial services and physical objects is evolving in real time. It's an exciting time to be in the field. And therefore impacting the whole CX, UX conversations that we've had in the last decade. Absolutely. How do you design an interface? How do you design an experience? How do you design a totality, a holistic engagement with a customer when they're going to not only be in your product, but have the ability to self-direct changes to that product? And how do you create the interface that lets them understand that and engage with it in an appropriate manner? We started talking about design and something that we're dealing with a lot, and I'm talking to a lot of people about every day, is scaling UX. What opportunities do you think leadership is missing out on and even large and established companies when they don't invest in the idea of scaling up UX? I would say there are really five tactical actions that designers and their managers can take. And different people have different responsibilities in the company. And I know I'm really only supposed to have three bullet points, but I have five, so I apologize. The first thing 
is that we should think end-to-end even while building point solutions. So even when you're in a design role where you might perceive it to be an order-taking type of role, you still have the capacity as a human being, really, and as a professional to think more broadly. So even while you're coming up with point solutions, be thinking about how do we transition just from user interface to user experience, for example? What libraries can we create that are reusable? What heuristics are we applying? What kinds of broad-based solutions can we deploy? And what kind of frameworks can we build and articulate to guide future design decisions? So even while we finish the task in the moment, that point solution, we're still thinking end-to-end and thinking holistically. The second thing I would say is to know your partner's business as well as your own. What language and jargon do we use as designers that our business partners don't understand? What jargon and language do they use that we don't understand? We have a responsibility to understand them even more than they do to understand us. What certifications can you go and get? The third thing I would say is have an opinion, have a point of view. Think about how you're being additive to the conversation and how you're contributing to the solution. Are you only looking at strictly user interface design decisions? If you're only consulted, and let's use a tangible example of this, if folks only reach out to you when they need a user design interface, right? If there's like, what are the fonts going to be? What is the white space going to be? Where are the frames going to be? That's not what we want to do. But if we can understand the business and have a perspective on the direction that the overall product is taking, we should say so. And we should share that and contribute. My comment to that one, if I may, before you move on to the, I think it's your fourth is that I look at design as a problem solver rather than as a UI or merely visual. Uh, holistically, designers in, in this digital-first uh, world we live in are first and foremost problem solvers. So they look at things a little bit broader to have that opinion that you were saying. I 100% agree with you. And that's where we get into this intersect between design mattering at a philosophical level and what tasks are we given within the company and what level are we at where we can drive that. 100% agree to you that when anybody comes to us and says, we've got an idea for a new project, a new product, whatever the case may be, we should start by having those design thinking conversations. What is our how might we statement? What is the research we need to do? What is the ethnography? we need to do? What kinds of user personas and journeys and stakeholder mapping? We need to start by defining those problem sets. What are we solving for? And going that level down so that we understand the true problem and not just what it appears at the surface. 100% agree with you. In companies, we don't always have that bandwidth out of the gate. We have to earn the credibility to have those conversations. And that's where some of these techniques can come into play. You know, I'll skip uh, one of them and say the thing that is probably most impactful, besides being your own advocate and really quantifying your results, the thing that's going to have the greatest impact is building a strong relationship with middle management, because that's where the rubber often hits the road in terms of process. And process matters. You know, we tend to joke around about meetings waste our time. As you grow in a company, what you realize is the middle management level is where 
the broad strategic is transformed into the tactical actionable. And that's where we need to look at things like project management, where the meeting is the work for a lot of these folks. And if we understand where does design fit into project management, what artifacts are we emboldened to create and contribute? How does this play in the Gantt chart that they're building? What are the deliverables that we're accountable for? Where does this flow into the user stories? Do we have our own set of responsibilities tied to the Scrum team? You know, when we think about the digital creation cycle, we like to think, well, design thinking is figuring out build the right thing. And then stuff like agile is about building the thing right. How do we play on both sides of that? And that's what we should take responsibility for is driving those kinds of conversations. So that first level of management, whether your company works in agile, waterfall, hybrid, design thinking, whatever the case may be, look at your process and say, how can I make an improvement for design to play a role here? And then how do I learn what I need to learn about my partner's business so I speak their language? And then I can act as an advocate for the customer. I personally like the comment on uh, speaking the language of your colleagues. Um, if we're going to make design matter the way we want it to matter, because we've been asking for this, by the way, for a long time, uh, research and design mattering. Yeah, you just got to be able to speak the language and look at it holistically and make it part of your business strategy. And so for that, you do need to understand business and talk business and get closer to the business leader. And by the way, my experience tells me that if you do that, they will listen, they will be much more open, and the impact will be greater. 100%. And I love your point about speaking the jargon and understanding your business partners. It's great advice. And I'm wondering about how do we break down the silos? How do we foster that environment of collaboration, business, and research? Are there other things other than kind of speaking the jargon or the language? What else should we be focused on? Yeah. Well, silos is such the right term. Certainly in financial services where I am, silos are a fact of life and they're part of it. That's where something like the project management process can come into play. Agile from a technology standpoint is great because it starts to create self-organizing teams that do cut across different disciplines, but it's still fundamentally in the technology space. So what I've found is helpful is proactively going to those people. And again, if you don't have a seat, pull up a chair. Say, I'd like to be a part of this meeting. I'd like to shadow these folks and do some internal ethnography, as it were. And I'll give you a quick example. I was part of the technology group. I was leading design thinking project, and we wanted to create some software that would be customer-facing in a global bank. And from an Agile standpoint, we had all the right pieces in place, and we had a product owner who would be part of the Scrum team. And they said, we have a business analyst who's written the requirements. And I said, that's great, but we'd really like to go and talk to the front office, we call it the front office in banking, the sales representatives, the bankers, the tellers, the people who interact, client relationship managers, the people who actually touch the customer. And they said, oh, no, the business analyst is already taking care of that. They represent that voice. And that's very frustrating because it means you don't truly know what they're saying. You only know what this person has interpreted as important about what they're saying. 
So I faced that dilemma of how do I get past this blocker? How do I get through this silo? And the approach I took was to go and interact with them in a non-confrontational, collaborative manner to listen to what they need and treating it like, again, internal ethnography. I'm doing a stakeholder interview in this case, right? What matters to you? What's important to you? What are your metrics that you're trying to meet for your boss? What are your pressures? What are you incented to do? And it turns out my discovery was that their fear was I was going to disintermediate them. If I go and talk to those personnel, then you don't need me in this job. And that's risk to me. So by controlling access to this flow of information, I keep my job. It had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with the customers. It's about self-preservation. That's, that's what a silo is. It's about self-preservation. So by partnering in that way, I reduced the risk to them. That made them more willing to engage with our team. Ultimately, that does a couple things. It gives us better requirements for the technology team to build against. What does that mean? It means we're going to have greater customer satisfaction. It means we're going to have fewer defects. It means we're going to have greater uptake on the app. It means we're going to have less rework we have to do. Less risk. And that means we're going to get our MVP launched faster. It's going to be more successful in the market. So what does all of this mean? Boil down this conversation in business terms. There you go. More money. Greater revenue, higher customer satisfaction, faster go-to-market times, which makes us more competitive, reduced risk, reduced rework, fewer errors. These are all very positive things. Who could argue with that? One final thought that I have, uh, something I've found fascinating that you've been talking about today is that we're really talking about what, as a lifetime researcher, we all care about, which is having empathy for the user. And what you've been talking about is having empathy for your colleagues. That's right. I don't think we're doing enough of that within the business realm. We do it for our users, and we're not always doing that with our colleagues. Well, Dana, that is just beautifully said. I can't think of a better note to end on. Awesome. Thank you for being with us today. It's been fascinating. Thank you so much for making the time again, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure and best of luck to you. Thank you both. That was Jonathan Alloy, Vice President for Customer Experience and Innovation Consulting at Publicis Sapient. Thanks for listening to Expeditious. If you like what you heard, help us out by rating and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. Expeditious is produced by UserZoom in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Christopher Ratcliffe from UserZoom and the team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Saff, Amy Machado, Hannah Pedersen, Colleen Pellissier, and Jason Mack. Thank you.